Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into the media and communications and you love to learn, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a speaker development curator at the world-renowned TED which stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. It's a nonprofit devoted to spreading ideas, usually in the form of short, powerful talks that are about 18 minutes or less. But before I introduce you to Chloe Shasha, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays to give you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Chloe Shasha, TED's speaker development curator responsible for finding amazing speakers for TED's stage, video, and podcast programs. Chloe also oversees TED's pool of speaker nominations that literally come in from all over the world, and she curates them with an international focus on culture, social justice, literature and humor. Chloe then works with the speakers themselves to develop and help them write their talks, diving deep into their research to help them better communicate their ideas with impact. Among speakers that Chloe has worked with over the years, the co-founder of Airbnb, Joe Gebby, Monica Lewinsky, and the president of the World Bank. At least he was the president of the World Bank then. She also hosts sessions and conducts interviews herself. As a queer Arab Jew, Chloe seeks to bring out our shared humanity among cultural, political, and ideological differences. She cares deeply about providing a platform for ideas from marginalized voices, and she's passionate about writing, dance, music, the outdoors, family time, and building queer community. Chloe's background is in journalism and cognitive psychology, and she's contributed articles to ABC News and the HuffPost. Chloe, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am. Now, I know because we had our little video on before we turned our video off, because this is an audio interview, that you have a big glass of water. But do you drink (laughs) coffee, Chloe? You know, I love coffee, but regular coffee makes me so caffeinated that I typically stick to decaf and chai. 
Oh, nice. So, okay. Well, but I yeah, love how it tastes. I do too. I, that is like <laughs> one of my biggest kind of addictions. I have to say is the taste of coffee. I absolutely love it. Totally. But I totally respect your need to hydrate <laughs> with water. So, Chloe, we are going to frame our 10 espresso shots around media and communications. And we know that TED is sort of a entity unto itself. So let's dive into our 10 espresso shots with the first question being, what entry level jobs are available to young people who want to break into this field? Yeah, I mean, so the reason I think that this is a unique space is that in many ways, what we're doing is similar to what journalists do. You know, we're finding stories, we're finding ideas, but then we take them and we find ways to make them into talks that last beyond the current moment. At least that's our goal. So thinking about how to take an idea and make it timeless is almost like going from journalism to entertainment, but also with substance, I guess. That's the goal. So in terms of what positions exist that are at entry level to get into this field. I mean, I think that within TED itself, we of course have positions, but we end up often hiring from people who have been in journalism or in social media at other companies, both large and small, something as large as Buzzfeed, something as small as a local newspaper in Alaska. So at TED though, in terms of the entry level positions, we definitely have a lot of coordinator roles that are kind of bringing together resources and organizing materials that end up being put out to the world or in the other way taking things that are already out there on our platform and redistributing them to other formats so i would say a lot of the entry level roles have an element of administration and coordination but can also have a creative component as well Okay, nice. And so are you saying they should look for titles that have coordinator in them? Or what are the types of titles that would fit that entry level category? I think at TED itself, coordinator, associate, you know, depending on how much experience a person has, if let's say someone had a lot of experience in college running some social media platform or club, it's possible they could even get hired as a manager at that point. But I would say on average, coordinator and associate are the titles that we typically have that, you know, are most suited to someone coming right out of college. Okay, gotcha. And we should also let our listeners know, Chloe, that we're doing this interview in the middle of June 2020. Obviously, the coronavirus is everywhere. How has TED been affected by it? Deeply. I mean, I think one of the most interesting parts about the last few months, aside from the tragedies that are happening everywhere, is figuring out how to still make things interesting when we can't do our bread and butter, which is our flagship conferences. And so we've basically converted our main conference, which typically happens in Vancouver in April, into a virtual one spread out from one week, which is what we would do in person, to eight weeks where we are, we've actually spread out the content and changed the format entirely. So actually all of our worlds in terms of the staff at TED have completely been turned upside down and we've been running around and adapting and trying our very best. And I think we've had some 
cool successes and some cool better next time moments as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you put that. That is, you know, it's all about learning and growing and these are extraordinary times. But is Ted, and I did actually look on your main website, there are positions that are still open and clearly Ted is still hiring. Would you say that this is a bit of a lull or there is a lull in terms of the expanse of positions that would normally be featured? Or do you think that hasn't been affected? Yeah, it definitely has been affected. I mean, we, we've we had to rethink our budgets. You know, we're, we're not going to make as much as a nonprofit to fuel our resources as we normally would in a given year. So we have more or less a hiring freeze on anything that isn't essential. You know, what's deemed essential is kind of dependent on the projects at hand. But yeah, this is not this is not the best time to be applying to work here, for sure, because we can't really offer the same kinds of opportunities as we normally would. Right. Okay. Well, I just wanted to have a an audible timestamp here to explain to our listeners perhaps why there may not be certain titles on and positions that are on the website now, but hopefully at some point in the not too distant future, that will change. Chloe, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you hire at TED? Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that I care about the most is interest. If people are curious and interested I believe that they will be more successful than if they have just shown success in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect a broad array of interests. And and of course, we care deeply about people who are specialists as well, who have gone deep into different areas and done the research and produced something in their own fields that is valuable, like a book or you know, something like that, but that's more at the high level. I think at the lower level, interest is huge and enthusiasm to try lots of things because our, our work is pretty unpredictable in the sense that even if we have a schedule year to year, the ways in which we decide to innovate our usual events and programs changes. And so it's definitely a matter of being willing to try new things, both technologically and editorially and research-wise. And so for example, I have interns throughout the year who go through our speaker nomination database with, with nominations from all over the world, and their job could become quite tedious if they didn't find interest in learning just what people are thinking about everywhere and what people's talk ideas are. And sometimes they're fascinating and sometimes they're not. But like the drive to understand, to me, is, is a marker of success. Excellent. So I would put that in the category of like a soft skill, somebody Mm -hmm. who's flexible, curious, interested in learning. Mm -hmm. What about a hard skill? I think writing. I mean, being being a strong writer is is huge, regardless of the position at TED. Even I would say even on, on the tech team, having that skill is huge. And so much of what we're doing is communicating. So being able to write emails in a way that are actually something that someone would be proud of to read later, which I know sounds strange, but I actually, (laughs) I I, I take every email quite seriously with, especially because we're communicating with people outside of the organization constantly. And so it, I, I think it really matters how people write in an email and, and it actually leads to better relationships and 
commitments from people to you know partner with us and speak on our platform. So for my team, at the very least, that is a, a more concrete skill. Obviously, on other teams, people need to have analytical understanding to do data analysis and technological skills if they're going to be engineers, et cetera. But that, that for me as a curator, that is you know writing skills and, and curiosity and the ability to research deeply are things that matter a lot. I totally get that. And I kind of laughed when you said writing an email. But when you explained it, it makes perfect sense because you're also communicating with people for whom English is not their first language. If you can't write clearly and succinctly and get to the point and pull out the highlights of what you need and what you're thinking, I mean, you have a mess on your hands. Mm -hmm. I also thought something else that you mentioned, Chloe, is exciting and that is mm -hmm. that you have interns because that's also a way to get your foot in the door how do you look for your interns how can prospective interns find those postings i mean i i think internships are so amazing for finding talent and it's something that i've cared deeply about for my nine years at ted of trying to hire interns who i imagine would be a good fit down the line if they were to be hired full-time. And many of my interns have become full-time employees. Some have moved on to other roles since, and some are still there years later. And I think that it's a really cool time to be someone who doesn't yet have a specific you know, set of experiences, but gain those experiences while at TED and then learn enough of the niche processes that we have to be of use as a full-time employee for a certain role. And so that has happened. And, and people have also taught themselves skills while interning and then found ways to actually transition to other teams within TED. So that is great too. In terms of how I find them, I mean, we put out the posting on the TED website. It often goes up on Indeed, Jobs, and other platforms like that. And then we also do outreach to universities and, you know, we just, we care deeply about having a, a diverse reach. So we have programs that are trying to reach students of color and first generation students, just trying to make sure that people have the opportunity to apply who wouldn't necessarily have the privilege to see those postings normally, because obviously in fancier schools, there are career services that shuttle those applications to students or people have just have the opportunity to think about applying to a nonprofit. And so we we want to make sure that we reach people who wouldn't necessarily see these postings okay. who are amazing students. Awesome. And then are there particular times of the year that you post these internship opportunities? Yeah. So it, it kind of cycles because I, I try and keep interns for no longer than nine months because I just don't think it's fair to have an internship for so long when they're not paid very well. And it, I just don't want people to get stuck in it. So I would say on average, we put those out for the fall and for the summer. Okay. And then people kind of stay fall to summer and then summer to fall. But sometimes it changes if someone has to leave for some reason, we'll hire for the winter. So I'd say every season there's an opportunity potentially. So mm. worth checking out. Great. Okay. Next espresso shot. Is someone's major a deciding factor to get into this profession, Chloe? In other words, 
if they haven't studied the media, if they haven't studied communications, is it a deal breaker? For me, definitely not. I, I think that the major, if someone majored in something, I don't know, let's say like they majored in economics, but then they have experience in biology research, that matters to me more than what they majored in. So the things that balance out a person are all taken into account. And I think having had a communications major actually doesn't necessarily help at all in the sense that it doesn't necessarily show research experience. So it's kind of less important to me than actually showing that someone has had research experience in the case of what I typically hire for on my team. Nice. Okay. And what about a grad school degree? And if so, this is less so, of course, for the entry-level positions, more so for somebody who wants to run a media organization or get up into the C-suite of an organization like TED. Is it important to have that? And if so, Chloe, do you think they're more useful grad degrees to have? So I think what's interesting is that it's such a combination of both. Some of the people at the high level of TED did get either a journalism degree or a business degree or even a PhD in some cases, and other people have just been working since they graduated college. And what, what I actually think matters the most is in the case of our specialist curators on my team, I'm kind of a generalist curator, and then we have a science, a design, a business and eventually we'll have a, a tech curator as well as a current affairs curator. And all of them have a graduate degree in some form that has, you know, led them to specialize in that in that way. So our business curator has a business degree, our science curator has a PhD, etc. So I think for that kind of specialization to become more senior, it helps. But as for you know, I think people talk about this a lot with journalism, like, is it worth it to go to journalism school or not? And that question kind of feels like it applies to, is it worth it to have a degree to be a person in media or not? You know, it's, it's a similar unknown and, and depends on kind of the luck of what you were able to do early in your career versus go to school. Yeah. That's how I, how I view it. Yeah. And I fall into the category of somebody who didn't study it at all and just did. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's certainly less expensive not to have to yeah. get a grad school degree, <laughs> which is great. Chloe, what kind of life experiences? So those experiences that we have outside the classroom, do you think are most useful for someone who's starting out in this field? Probably doing things with the school newspaper or internships in a, in a newspaper industry or online media in general, whether it's social media or videos for, for some place that, that has that as a component of their offerings. And then research, as I mentioned, like if, if someone has an opportunity to do outside research with a professor and help that professor conduct their studies for their own grants and all that, that can, that can be really valuable to me, as well as leadership positions that show like an understanding of communications at large, like how, how to gather together big groups of students to start a movement or continue a movement. I think those, those show often good writing and communication skills. It really is varied. I, I think that the kinds of activities 
as long as they really show that someone did something thoroughly, that matters. Like I think as opposed to dipping into many different things and not really fully doing any of those things with with enough time or commitment to speak to it as as though it was really part of their experience. I think that's that matters a lot. Excellent. And we should also mention that you started TEDx at Middlebury College where you went to school. You started it 10 years ago and there yeah. may be <laughs> there may be TEDx present on different college and university campuses. And if they're not, that's a great way to get this experience, maybe by trying to start it yourself. Totally. I mean, that that was kind of cool timing for me in the sense that the TEDx program was launched in 2009. And then I ended up working with a group of faculty and students to bring one to, to Middlebury at the time. And they're still going. They, I mean, they've, they've had over 10 events, I believe, since, which is pretty amazing. And they've made it so much better than when I first organized it. Yeah, I mean, TEDx events are a completely, are like a kind of a perfect correlation to what working at TED could be like. Though, of course, it is quite different, right? And there are the skills that it takes to curate for our stages, I think, are honed over time. And, and the TEDx organizers around the world who do bring us content are, are organizers who have been doing it themselves for their own TEDx events for many years. So I think it doesn't have to be bringing a TEDx event to campus as a way to be ready for an internship or a job at TED. Sure, sure. But that's pretty cool that you did that, I have to say. Pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Chloe, what is the best part for you of working at TED and being a speaker development curator? I think one of the best parts is that I get to learn every day. So much of my job is trying to see if someone's work would be a good fit for the stage. And there's so many reasons why that would or would not be true. And as a way to assess that, I'm just learning about them. And so I'm either doing that through talking to them, you know, having exploratory calls or reading about them, watching videos, watching interviews they've done, listening to podcasts they've done. And it just makes my life feel richer because I just get to add more perspective to the things that I already care about or don't know about. And I just think that's such a gift. And I, I think the combination of that part of my job with the fact that I just love the people I work with so much is really special. And I, I don't take it for granted. Yeah, that's like the grand slam <laughs> of, of jobs when you can <laughs> check those boxes. You love the people and you feel like you're learning and growing every day. Yeah, it's really special. So we know it doesn't matter how much you love your job. There are always flip sides. And of course, we're in the middle of a crazy time right now in the world. What is the part of your current job, Chloe, that sucks the most? Well, it's actually kind of related. I think what's hardest about it is that there are so many incredible people out there and so many amazing ideas that I want to bring to the stage. And we only have so many resources and slots for people. So often... I'm pitching people and they aren't going to be ever featured because it's just not as much of a priority as something else. And so it, I have a hard time rejecting people. For me, one of the hardest things is having courted someone for sometimes months 
talking to them over multiple calls or over email about what their talk would be, helping them figure out what their main idea would be if they were to give a TED talk, telling them, okay, I, I'm going to pitch you now. And then, and then they're not chosen. And so then I have to keep them on the back burner for maybe future opportunities. And sometimes that does happen. And years later, after I first pitch someone, there is an opportunity for them and I will bring them to a stage or an interview or something. But other times, you know, it's just, a, I have to be really transparent with everyone about the process so that it doesn't feel like such a burn. And that is something that I've learned to do over time, but it's still hard. You know, I, I say up front, this is an exploratory call. We don't have any sense of where we would put you in a program, but I will reach back out if there is an opportunity. And then sometimes there isn't. Oy. So how many slots are there every year on the TED stage? Well, for our events, it kind of varies because we don't actually do the exact same events every year, but we have so many other programs too. You know, we have multiple podcasts that we produce as an organization and we have multiple direct to camera series. And so year to year, it really does change. But if, if I think about the things that I pitch to on an annual basis, our main conference has anywhere from 70 to 90 speakers, the one that's in April, typically. TED Women can have, you know, around 50-ish speakers. We have TED Global and TED Summit in different years. Those can have around, you know, 40 to 50 speakers. So it, it just depends on the year, but it's a, it's a few hundred max for the stage. I think for direct-to-camera, you know, there can be more opportunities, but not always. Sometimes we actually take former speakers who have another short talk to give and give them a direct-to-camera opportunity. Sometimes with podcasts, we bring former speakers back, and then sometimes we bring new people. So it, it is, it's a, a matter of hundreds per year. Okay. It's, de it's definitely not thousands. But then there are TEDx events, which is an amazing way to get people's ideas out there outside of our main stage program because it's almost like TEDx events are a franchise even though there's no monetary exchange with TED and there's 10 TEDx events a day worldwide on average when they're when we're not in a pandemic and that can produce hundreds of talks per day so that's a pretty cool way to help people find other outlets for their ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, TEDx, for our listeners, if they aren't familiar with it, are really just TED independent TED Talks that are curated by different communities. Isn't that right, Chloe? Yes, exactly. Okay. Chloe, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Huh, that's a great question. I, I think... I think about this often, and it's, it's not exactly about career, but it feels like it applies, which is that it's work to be happy, that we can't expect to be happy, that it actually takes work. And I, th I think about that with my personal life, but also professional in the sense that we have to make opportunities for ourselves and can't expect anything to land in our laps or be made for us in a perfect little package. And so that has made me never settle, I think, and, and in a way that doesn't necessarily feel stressful. It's not like I'm never immersed in my work and, and relaxed into it, but I never feel like, okay, this is it, and I like this enough, so, so we're good. Instead, I'm constantly trying to craft more opportunity and, and see where there's gaps that can be filled while also trying to make sure that I'm specializing enough in some way that I'm 
growing. Mm -hmm. And so that, that to me feels like a product of that piece of advice, which is that it has to come from work. It can't come from any other scenarios that are just put in your lap. Cause that, that doesn't last. It doesn't let you grow as much. I love that. And it actually kind of echoes the career advice that I was given by my dad when I had just graduated from Middlebury myself. Mm -hmm. And it was along the lines of like, Andrea, don't expect there to be somebody on a white horse who like comes galloping up to you and says, (laughs) Andrea Koppel, where have you been? We've been looking for you and we have the most amazing opportunity for you. You have to be the one to get out there and find whatever it is that's going to light your fire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Two final espresso shots, Chloe. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows or books do you think accurately depict your profession? <laughs> None. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if... I mean, the funny thing is, and we talk about this internally as well, there's really, there's not really other organizations that we can model our organizational structure off of, because again, we're not a newspaper, so we can't have like a, an editorial structure the way a newspaper does. And we're not something as, you know, media driven as BuzzFeed, exactly, though we have overlaps with both. And we're also not only a conferences company, like we have so much that goes online. So I kind of feel like we're this strange little center of a Venn diagram with other people's industries that are more typically thought of and represented on, in, on TV or in books. What I will say, though, is that Chris Anderson wrote a book Chris Anderson runs the TED conference and, and it's about how to give a TED talk in the process. And I think that does actually shed quite a bit of light on our process and talks about how we, how we work with people and how speakers come up with their talks with us. And so that, that might be the most valuable asset. Okay, cool. Well, we'll make sure to include a link to Chris's book in show notes. And by the way, check out show notes to see if Chloe's main time for coffee interview, where we get into what she does as a speaker development curator and how she built her career to see whether or not that episode has dropped. Final espresso shot, Chloe. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? I think people would be surprised to know how much of my job involves being an unqualified psychologist. So I spend a lot of time, because TED feels like such a big deal to some people, I mean, not every speaker is is intimidated by the TED stage, but many feel like this is a big opportunity to get their idea out there on a platform that gets so much attention. So it feels like, you know, the the stakes are high. If you do a good job, it advances your career. If you do a bad job, it might not. But we try and keep people calm because the calmer they are, the better job they'll do. And so it's amazing, especially in our live conferences, how much time I spend backstage with a person after months of working with them on a talk, basically telling them affirmations. 
you know, just making sure that they feel calm, ready, reminded that they know their talk so well, or, or if they're not a memorizer, reminded that they have the bullets of their talk so well down. And that this is a time to enjoy because, you know, the rehearsals are almost more stressful at times than the actual stage moment because there's so much adrenaline and energy from the audience. So sometimes I've led people through meditation sessions. We've done visualizations with our eyes closed. You know, it runs the gamut, but I certainly am grateful that I majored in psychology, though I don't think that that prepared me for this exact kind of work, but I don't mind it. It's almost like how you would help a friend before a big presentation. You know, it's, it's like just being a kind, supporting friend at that point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Little did you know when you were majoring (laughs) in cognitive psychology at Middlebury that you would be leading people through meditations. (laughs) (laughs) But that's wonderful. That shows such an empathetic side and uh, the kindness kind of coming out there, which is just terrific. Chloe, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. I think you have such an incredibly cool job and what an amazing platform Ted is for so many people and so many incredible ideas. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Andrea, and thanks to your community of listeners. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.